Welcome to Technado with Don Pizzette. Featuring sysadmin expert Don Pizzette, DevOps engineer Justin Dennison, security specialist Daniel Lowry, and Peter. Hello and welcome to Technado with Don Pizzette. And we're actually joined this week by Don Pizzette, who uh, missed last week. But I assume you, you listened to the show after the fact, Don? Absolutely. Uh, I waited for it with bated breath. Uh, I don't actually know what that means, bated all, breath. All the things it. we said about you in that episode? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know you didn't listen to it because yeah. I'm still here. <laughs> yeah, I'm on this week, so he did not hear that recording. You know, I was telling someone about the podcast recently, and they asked, well, what do you do? Because, you know, you're not a, like a, a tech person. I said, I'm like the Ryan Seacrest on American Idol. And then I had to think about it more, and I was like, so that would make Don the, the Simon Cowell because he's – uh, you know, Mean. he says what he thinks, um, but it, but it's right most of the time. But it's just not in the nicest way. Um, Justin's clearly uh, Randy Jackson. I don't know why, but just kind of has that attitude. And Yo dog. unfortunately, Yo. that makes Daniel uh, Paul Abdul, which doesn't really line up. But that was the one that was left. So I'm sorry about mm. that, Daniel. What are you gonna do? Mm. Mm. It, nope. I, there's several things I want to say, but uh, I'm gonna keep them to myself because I don't want them recorded. <laughs> You, you were fine with it last week, and Don. No, no, this one, this one might get me in some well, hot water. Write it so. down again, so I you can feel tell me like there's a way we could take cold-hearted snake and transition that into our guest today. Oh, that's true because it is a, uh, it is a focus on Python today on this episode, and we are joined by Michael Kennedy, who is the host of not one but two popular Python-related podcasts, Talk Python to Me and Python Bites. How you doing, Michael? I'm doing really well. Thank you all for having me. It's great to be on your show. Yeah, looking forward to talking about some Python, all the all the different kinds all, of all Python. the Pythons. <laughs> yeah, we're getting we're getting to that for sure. We're going to have a, a very Python heavy uh, episode today. And and uh, and Justin, you said you're you're actually a fan. What, which pod, do you listen to both of the podcasts? I or? listen I listen to both of them. Uh, Python oh, bites. Thanks, is, yeah, yeah, it's fun times. It's easy to consume on the way to work or on the way home. Uh, and then talk Python to me is uh, you know a little longer format, but there's some fun stuff there. Well, let's learn more about the shows and Michael in general in our first segment, Rapid Fire Questions. Who do you work for? What's new? Who are you? What's happening? What's wrong with you? All right, Michael, this is 45 seconds to a minute to answer each one of the questions. If you go longer than that, Peter's going to buzz you, and we're going to move on to the next question. Peter's going to take our first question. All right, so um, we did mention there are two, two podcasts, and I think Justin kind of alluded to it. That maybe there's a different form in, in the, the length, but can you tell us a little bit about each one and, and, and how they're different? Yeah, sure. So I created this podcast called Talk Python to Me, and the idea there is to tell humanizing stories from software development and just incredible things that people are doing in that space. And they're very evergreen. You know, Here's how they use Python to help discover the Higgs boson. Right. That's really interesting a year later. Uh, so that one tells these long form stories. Uh, so I created the second one, the Python Bytes, to be a lot like your show, which is like the news of the week in the software developer and Python space. And I just figured the, the news of the week, like this thing is going to be going on for two more weeks. Check it out. Shouldn't be paired with something that's good for five years to listen to. So I decided to create two shows because I didn't have enough work for myself. Well, uh, so that begs the question, why did you pick Python as like your main area of focus for development, podcasts, all that? Why didn't you pick like C++ or Eiffel? Sure. Uh, there's so many options, right? I actually didn't pick Python right away. I actually started in C++ back in college. I was working on some research projects and some supercomputers and 
I said, hey, if you want to work on this project, we'll buy you a programming book and you could teach yourself. No one here knows how to do it, but why don't you jump in? So it took me a long time to find my way over to Python, but Python is a cool language compared to so many of the others because like unlike many languages, you can be very effective with this programming language with a partial, a very partial understanding of how it works or even what it is. So think of a biologist who just writes five or six lines of scripts using some of the fancy libraries to pull in data and visualize it about say, you know, some study she's doing. You don't have to know what functions are, you know, what classes are, you don't have to know compilers, headers, linkers, like all the complicated stuff, computer science, you can ignore until you're ready to get to like these more advanced concepts. So I think that draws a lot of people in and I find it really nice that you can just use the parts you care about. All right. Now you're, you're being pretty humble. You told the story about, you know, they gave you a programming book, but I know you've, you're pretty advanced in the world of Python. <laughs> you are a Python software foundation fellow. Uh, what, what is the work that you do with Pyth the Python software foundation? Well, the Python Software Foundation Fellow Award is given to people in the community that basically grow the community and support the community through education, through advocacy and stuff. And obviously doing what I'm doing with the podcast, I've done that, I do conference speaking and I have online courses and whatnot. So that's how I got into that realm. I didn't even realize I was up for voting on that until they said, oh, you won this award. It was really a big honor. Uh, the Python Software Foundation is kind of like the legal entity that controls or defends, takes care of the Python ecosystem. You know, Java has Oracle, C Sharp has uh, Microsoft, Swift has Apple. For these open source languages where there's not really an owner of it, like what do you do if somebody tries to hijack it? So the PSF is around to sort of oversee and govern this whole space. So it's, it's a nonprofit that does that and I'm happy to support them you know, as much as I can about just spreading the word. Well, obviously, you're just sitting around doing a whole lot of nothing most of the days. Uh, <laughs> with all that on your plate, I understand you're also a trainer as well, as far as Python goes. Now, is that only for like people that know Python and it's going to be advanced stuff? Or is it also for beginners asking for a friend? <laughs> yeah, of course. Well, uh, tell your friend that I have some beginner courses and some advanced courses. I, Like I said at the beginning, I think... Python is very good for beginners. It's a great place to start, but it's cool because you don't outgrow it. So you can have both very beginner stuff, but then also advanced things. We've got, I think we're working on our 30th course right now. So a bunch of stuff getting started, web development and data science, all the way to like deep dives into internals of the language. So one of the things I really love is teaching. Uh, I did that in college as a grad student and when I went into programming, I just thought well, probably that's gone, but it turns out, no, you can keep writing courses. You can keep working with people. It's just slightly different outside the uh, ivory tower, you know? So, uh, you know, with the, with teaching and with doing the podcast, do you still find time to actually get in there and, and code yourself? And, and if so, what, what kind of stuff have you worked on recently? <laughs> sure. That's an interesting question. Uh, my wife actually just asked me this the other day. She's like, you don't do that much programming these days, do you? And like, no, uh, actually a lot. So what's really interesting is, all small businesses, well, really all businesses, but even small businesses, I guess I should say, are basically software businesses as well, software development shops. So we have all of these things that have to get done and get automated and doing so with some form of programming and automation, I, I just do that all the time. Uh, so just to give you a quick example of what I mean is we have our courses. I had a company that would take the videos, they would get the audio of it, transcribe it, give it back they change their, their focus in their business and they're not doing that anymore. So I'm like, well, how am I gonna get this done? 
Well, just yesterday I sat outside and I wrote, you know, a couple hours of code where it takes all of our videos, uploads them to AWS, runs it through Elastic Transcribe, gets all the videos down and then turns them back into subtitle format just automatically. So now I just write one line on the command line and, you know, hour later I have transcripts for my new course, right? Those kinds of things I do. I spend probably half my time on writing code like that. Yeah, I guess it makes sense because you got to got to stay up on it otherwise uh you know how can you be trusted to teach it you, yeah how can you teach it if you don't actually live it somewhat right yeah, and i hear that if uh you don't use it you lose it that, that's been said yes. <laughs> i've heard that as well and i and i won't you don't say, want to end up there yeah and i won't say with four it trainers in the room now that uh those who can't do teach or whatever they say but uh <laughs> And those who teach right. kick the crap out of you. Let me show you how to get hit in the face. I'll teach you real good. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right. Well, we said. It doesn't hey, hurt as much through Zoom. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you will send it to me later after the, uh, after the pandemic. Um, so we, we have Michael here and we said, let's do something a little bit different, a little bit fun. Uh, so we've come up with a new segment. Uh, let's just jump right into it. It's called Python, Python, Python. 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 Or Python. I'm not dead. All right, so if you notice the three uh, different <laughs> Python types there, that was Steve Irwin uh, talking about snakes. There was a computer, so we're talking about the language there. And then uh, finally, that was John Cleese uh, from Monty Python. So I'm going to read you guys a three words from, from a headline, and you have to guess which python of those three that we're talking about and i'm going to keep score here on a on a you know piece of paper very old school um, do, do we just yell at you no i'll go I'll, we'll go around the room oh, but okay. you know feel free uh, to just yell if that if that makes you happy um so i think i've got like six articles here so is it a jackal <laughs> no <laughs> all right so the first one uh, the three words are indian man python all right, so uh, let's start with uh, Don. Wait, it, these three words occur in order in the, headline. in the headline? Yes. Indian man python. I can't even think of a sentence where that makes sense. Um, I'm going to go with uh, actual snake python. Snake, okay. Uh, Daniel. I, I was going to go with snake as well, so. Snake? Yep. Snake. All right, Justin. Snake. And Michael? I, I got to fit in. Going with snake. Snake, all right. Well, no one's going to pull ahead here. By the way, if everyone is all the same. Uh, but the headline here is uh, Man Kills Indian Rat Snake and Tries to Sell It as Python Meat. Arrested. Oh, so the three words aren't in order. Oh, uh, they weren't in order. You're right. You're right. They're, they're not consecutive. They're... Yeah, that's true. In this one, yeah. I didn't realize is there was such a uh, distinction between rat snake and python snake meat. I can but, just see somebody yeah. like, you're trying to pass this off as python. Yeah. I know rat snake python when I eat it. Yeah. They, they'd be smaller pieces of python, right? So it'd be like python bites. Yeah, and, and that's true. It's, and it, and it Ooh, wasn't, yes. it wasn't uh, an Indian man. It was an Indian rat snake. Um, so that, that uh, was an interesting one. I didn't know that, well, that there Indian were. rat snake chopped up man tried to sell it as a python? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Python uh, tries to sell yeah. man. You should see them wield machetes without arms. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, let's move on to number two here. Uh, good work, everyone, on that one. Uh, so everybody got that right. Uh, number two, python among American. Uh, let's go reverse here. Michael, what do you got? Python among American. 
I'm gonna go with Monty Python. I'm I don't Monty really Python. think that it works, but I want it to work. Okay. I want to hear how this comes together. Justin, so I'm just gonna throw it out there. I'm gonna go programming language. Okay, Daniel. I'm gonna go with Snake again. Snake. All right, we'll go with what works. Done. I'm going programming language. Programming language. All right. Report finds Python data analyst jobs most in demand among American engineers. So this is about the language. So Don and Justin. Uh, Get the points there. And have you guys seen that, um, Michael? It, it is it's Python kind of one of the the fastest growing here? It seems, I mean, it seems the one that everyone's talking about. It's got it's so interesting. It's a language that's been around for twenty five years, going on thirty years. It was it came out in nineteen ninety one or, or so, and for a long time it was just kind of you know fifth sixth popularity flat. And then around two thousand twelve, it just took off. And this is all mostly driven by the data science side, everyone realizing, hey, we can give up, you know, proprietary things like MATLAB and whatnot and come over into the Python space and it's cheaper, faster, better, all those things. Yeah, so actually Stack Overflow wrote an incredible article called The Incredible Growth of Python where they map out the, the chart where it's going past uh, JavaScript and Java and C Sharp and all those languages. And people are like, I don't know, that's some pretty bold predictions they're making. We can look back couple years now and it actually those were underestimating the popularity wow. of python it's it's definitely going up and up and up so yeah it's uh, i would totally agree with that headline and, and if you've ever bought a matlab license you'll know why people change to python <laughs> yes i remember I have, in, in I grad know. school there was this computer lab that had matlab and but it was a collective license for the lab so if more than like five people opened matlab at the same time the sixth person couldn't open MATLAB until someone else can't do their up. homework. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, it's interesting exactly. when I was researching this. Um, it, the other one that kept coming up was COBOL because they said during the pandemic, people are going back to that because that's what's running all the unemployment systems oh, um, yes. that are the com completely overloaded and In people demand. are like, we need COBOL people immediately. <laughs> all no right. one ever needed COBOL. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, we need them to fix what they did the first time. All right, next up, Pythons. Woke killing. <laughs> Justin, let's start with you. <laughs> Snake. Snake. All right, uh, Daniel. Uh, I'm going to change it up a bit and go with snake. All right. <laughs> I had to look. I'm like, no, he said snake. Oh, I see. He's being facetious. Uh, Michael, what do you got? Programming. Let's go with it. Programming. And Don. Man, is that woke like? Social justice warrior woke or I don't know. All right, I, I'm gonna go with Monty Python because I don't know on this one, and nobody else picked it. All right, <laughs> John Cleese thinks woke Whoa. culture is killing comedy. Uh, I'm sorry, it says Monty Python's John Cleese thinks. Yeah, so Python is in there. That's why it's Python with an S. So Don's got that one. Don has uh, Don is, is three for three so far. I'm bowling a perfect. You game. know what? When I heard those three words, I was like, "Somebody woke up with a python wrapped around." <laughs> I know exactly. <laughs> yeah, that was my immediate. Hey, don't thought. be afraid. That that might still come up. <laughs> We've got a couple articles to go here. Let's get the next. I one. awoke with such a clatter, and I was like, "That is a big snake." <laughs> <laughs> Ask this python, "What is the matter?" All right, next one. Python still missing. All right, Don, you are uh, our leader in the clubhouse, so you go first. All right. I feel like you're you're trying to trick us on I'm this I'm trying one. to bait you. All right, I'm going to go with the programming language. Okay. Uh, Daniel. I'm going to go with the snake language. <laughs> Should I just write in snake for the next two? Yeah. Okay, I'm just going to do that. Uh, Justin, what do you got? Uh, hmm. What were the three Python words Python still missing. Mm, I'm going to go with the programming language. 
Okay. <laughs> that was two. Can't wait till one of these. Put me down for programming as programming well. Programming as well. Florida man. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's got to start with that, right? Shotgun. All right. This article is four powerful features Python is still missing. There we go. That yeah. felt like a trick. And they're actually talking about African rock pythons. <laughs> yeah. They're like a left hand, a right hand, a left legs. leg, yeah. and a right leg. They're missing legs still. <laughs> <laughs> they are all set on the tail. Uh, yeah. So, uh, but now I'm curious, like, what are the so four here, features? So here are the things that it's missing. Uh, they say they're missing. Uh, true constants. Um... Hold on. Where true overloading and generics, uh, tail recursion optimizations. Oh man! And multi-line lambdas, which yeah, jeez, <laughs> no man, multi-line yeah. those are all four things that I'm like, whatever. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So and, and that's I, why people keep using I, it. I don't. I don't know about you. Have you ever worried about tail recursion in Python? The only time I worried about tail recursion was this class I had to take in Lisp, and I was not happy about it. Uh, no, I've see. never worried about it. See? Yeah. See, I was worried Justin was asking me there for a second. <laughs> do you, do you like, remember no, the, uh, there was the big Air Force scandal, right? The tail recursion scandal back in the 90s? <laughs> no. <It> was... <laughs> what? <laughs> All right, Don is still perfect it's not here. not fast enough. Yeah. All right, we've got two more, two more. I know we're out of time on this one, but this is fun, so we're keeping going here. Um, Python Air Camera. Hmm. Uh, Michael, let's start with you. I really want one of these to be about Monty Python. I'm going to go with that. Okay. Uh, Justin. Python Air Camera. Mm-hmm. Uh, snake. Snake. Okay. Daniel. Snake. Yeah, I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna grip for snake. snake. <laughs> you, you can't go away from it now because then that's when it will be a snake. And Don. Man, I am torn. This could be Snake or Monty Python. This is um, like the Monty Hall problem. Or it could be Python on a, no, on a MacBook could, Air. No, it couldn't. Uh, <laughs> with the webcam. As Justin can attest, cameras don't work in Macs. Yep. Um, so I'm going to go... I'm going to go Snake. Snake. All right. Uh, let's see. Couple wakes up to find Python on air conditioner above bed. Woo-hoo. Rescue caught on camera. <laughs> Of the python of the or the couple? Run, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Who, who was rescued from whom, uh, we do not know. It's like but. the people who adopt a pet, right? Who rescued you? <laughs> For some reason, I just imagine a python in like a rocking chair on top of the, uh, the AC, like cracking a beer, just going, what? It's, it's is that a player? We're talking about cold-blooded animals. Yeah, like, he's not going to do AC, anything. The AC the is the place you're going to go? Yeah, yeah, that's why. That's a matter of fact. That's why I keep my house so cold. If a gator gets inside, it goes to sleep. There you go. Yeah. Iguana <laughs> yeah. is just falling in the windows. Yeah. Yeah. That's smart. See, that's smart. If you keep it frigid cold in your house, then all those reptiles just... Has, a, has that paid off yet? Uh, see, I've never had to deal with it because I get at the threshold yeah. and they're like, that's too cold. And I keep mine warm. It happens all the time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, going into the last one here, Don is five for five. Daniel has two... Uh, Justin has four, and and Michael uh, apparently not a Python expert uh, with just nope. two. <laughs> so I don't know what's going on. We got to talk to the person who does the bookings on this show. All right, the last one here: Tesla Python egg. All right, uh, Daniel, should I put you down for snake there? <laughs> you know, everybody expects me to do snake, so that's what I'll do. All right, uh, Justin, what do you got? Does. Uh, Monty Python. Monty Python. Okay, Michael. Programming. Programming. And Don. I'm going to show some solidarity with our guest and go programming. Programming. Okay. Feeling better. Tesla owner (laughs) 
finds Monty Python Easter egg <laughs> in version 10 software update. And this one was fun because I know that Teslas use Python. Yeah. So I was like, people might think, oh, I'm yeah. smarter than you. I'm going to go with that. Then you have the word egg in there. So What's a Tesla? Exactly. <laughs> Tesla What's an egg? finds John Cleese's body <laughs> in trunk. Dead from in I'm not dead yet. <laughs> All right. So uh, let's see. That one was language. So done. That was not language. That was Monty No, Python. I mean, that was Monty Python. I'm sorry. I was like, so no. Justin got that one. Great. This is like Don a French didn't. ice skating judge over so, here. <laughs> throw out the Russian judge. All right, so Don ends with uh, five. Daniel has two. Uh, Justin has one, two, three, four, five tied up there. Ha ha! Take your time if you need to count mine up. Michael, it's okay. yeah, we're still tabulating. <laughs> I'm putting it into an Excel sheet. And He's two. whooping out pandas. It is two as well. So Sorry. Justin and Don tied. And man, that makes me wish I had, I had kept one as a tiebreaker. So you always got to have an odd number of questions. But you all answered the question. I'm messing with you, Pete. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if only we had true constants. Oh, we what? Could. Oh, what? Tail <laughs> that was fun. All right. Well, congratulations uh, to our winners. <laughs> what did we win? That was fun. And I would like to throw out one interesting thing. If you Please. look at Python, everywhere you see it, you have the logo, which is a snake. But Guido von Rossum, the guy who created Python, actually named it after Monty Python. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. So really, all the ones that were about the language were also about Monty Python. Indirectly. That's right. So, that means Daniel yeah. still didn't win because he picked Snake. <laughs> I'm all I'm broke all up about it. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell. All right, so Michael, uh, first of all, uh, what's, the, what's the best way to find these podcasts? I assume just go to our, our podcast uh, app of choice. And what do we have? Talk Python yeah, to you, me and Python Bytes? Right. Just put in Python. That should come up there. Uh, Talkpython.fm, PythonBytes.fm. People can find it in all the places. That you find podcast things. And if then I would like to learn more about Python, because I, I learned earlier that basically I'm already a Python expert because you said people that don't like to learn all of those things um, are. Yeah, you barely understand it. So You're good. I'm there. Yeah. Um, how, okay. can I, how can I learn more with you? <laughs> well, people go to talkpython.fm. There's a place to click. You can see, click on our courses. We have coming up on 200 hours of different courses there. So, yeah, really. A lot, lot of interesting stuff for beginners and people doing web development. Uh, we're doing some data science stuff. We're even doing some courses now to rescue people from Excel and move them into the Python data science stack. So there's a little something for everyone. Yeah, if you could write something that helps uh, me not have to just use this as our, our Python <laughs> scoring sheet next time uh, for Python, 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 which I'm not sure if we'll be playing again, but it, it was a, a crowd favorite here. So um, yeah, yeah, that'd that be helpful. Fun. Is that something that... that could easily be done in Python? I think so. Okay, good. <laughs> as long as you as can easy pay as the consulting hours. Paper. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> it, it's a buck fifty an hour, minimal billable hour, you know. Okay. I gotta be there for at least 30 hours. Change it. I gotta understand the problem domain to start yeah, with. Yeah, yeah, there's your problem. All right, this is yeah. great. Now we have to write up a statement of work, <laughs> work breakdown structure. $7,000 later, we have. I'm gonna stick with the piece of paper. A clicker. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Michael, thank you so much for uh, for taking the time out to join us today, and I and I hope that we can have you on again in the future as kind of our our Python expert because we don't really have anyone to rely on for that right now. Uh, well, yep. it was a lot of fun to be here with you guys. Uh, it's a very lighthearted show, and I definitely enjoy it. Thanks for having me. Yep. And uh, thanks everybody. Uh, stick around. We've got more Technado coming up right after this quick break. Do you know what's better than being an IT Pro TV member? Being a member for free. 
Hi, I'm Dom Pazek, co-founder and edutainer here at IT Pro TV. Once you sign up for an IT Pro TV personal membership subscription, you'll automatically be part of our referral program. Then all you have to do is share your personal referral link and code with your friends and colleagues. Every time one signs up, you get money off your subscription. Sign up enough and your membership is free. That's right, access to all your favorite IT training, totally free. Kind of feels like stealing, doesn't it? Check out the link below to learn how to get your code and start sharing today. All right, welcome back to Technado with Don Bazette. Thank you so much to Michael for joining us and be sure to check out those podcasts uh, of his. Sounds very interesting, especially if you are interested in Python. Otherwise, maybe maybe not as much. No, they're still confused. They're, still you can still you can still get some, especially like with Talk Python. Like it's Python in the context of a variety of like uh, life experiences. Hmm. Um, so a lot of times it's it's people who aren't necessarily programmers to begin with, and they're like, oh, I needed to do this thing, and then I started building this project, and it turned into this big thing, and now yeah. I'm a programmer. That makes sense. Like yeah. kind of interesting stories about how they got to where they are. Well, we've got a lot of news uh, to get to, so let's go ahead and jump right in to our first article over at Wired.com. Dice Keys creates a master password for life with one roll. A new kit leaves your cryptographic destiny to 25 cubes in a plastic box. This, this basically just sounds like D&D. It's Boggle. <laughs> it's, yeah, Boggle meets D&D yeah. uh, meets the computer. But Don, Don I'm, I watched the video on this, and I am still confused um, because they said, you know, hey, you can use this to uh, create the password for your password manager or something. But for my password manager, I have to type that in every time I... You know, log into a new browser or something. I, I there's no way I'm typing well, that in, right? You know why you're still confused on this one? Because the product is stupid. Okay. <laughs> oh, so that's Man, why you put this I did, So Don, I wasn't going to say anything because I thought you were going to defend it. Uh, but man, so we're on the same page on it. I was like. How the hell is this any different than anything else? So this came across my, I'd say my desk, but I was traveling. So it just came across my uh, newsreader. Your tray uh, table. Last week. <laughs> and I read it. My first thought was, well, this is some bullshit. But, <laughs> <laughs> but people kept sending it to me. Like I had a, a three different people ask me if I had ordered mine or if it was worthwhile <laughs> or would this improve their security. And uh, a lot of the websites like Wired picked this one up uh, are trying to report on it from the side of, you know, they didn't improve security. The, the idea here is that you have a set of 25 dice that have six sides and they're all letters. You have A through Y. And then in addition to letters, you have a number for each side, one through six. And then you have the orientation of the dice, which way they're turned. And between all of that, you effectively have around, it's something like 192 bits of, uh, uh, of entropy in, in theory. So you roll these dice, you drop them into this tray, you lock them into position and the rolling of the dice is the randomization. And so what they're saying is, if you don't trust the entropy generation in your own machine, use these dice instead. And so you roll it up, you lock it in this little plastic tray, and then in theory, you can use that as the seed for your master key generation for the, or for any key generation for the rest of your life if you wanted, right? So that seed part is the hard part, right? Like if you use LastPass as your password manager, it asks you to pick a master password, and that's not what these dice are supposed to be. These dice are supposed to be a seed to help you create your master password, which in my, point, in my opinion kind of invalidates the whole need for this, and I think it's really, really silly, but he is selling the crap out of these things right now. Um, in fact, I haven't pulled up the crowd supply page on it. Uh, so I, it's only a matter of time before more people start reporting on how these things aren't all that worthwhile, but it's all over the news right now. 
Man, I, I really hope we're right on this, because if not, we're going to have to edit this part out of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, I mean, obviously there's a bunch of configurations from a mathematical perspective, but correct me if I'm wrong, the entropy within a system, like that's from like random bits and RAM and, and like weird idiosyncrasies from the hardware level, right? If it's cryptographically secure, how is that, I mean, if I shake Boggle, I'm, if it was actual Boggle tiles, there's words that come up that seem to be a statistical improbability. So, like, I don't, help me understand, other than just like a marketing gimmick, how, how would this ever be viable? Like, how, at what point would you go, yes, this is, this is something that I can use that, like, means I should purchase this. Yeah, so it's a gimmick. Uh, I don't know if you ever remember, like, encrypting a hard drive in the 1990s or early 2000s. A lot of software, when it would go to encrypt, would ask you to wiggle your mouse around the screen, mm -hmm. right? And it was doing that to gather up random bits. It would get the X and Y location and the speed of the cursor and somehow combine all that into a, a random string that would then serve as that, uh, that key. Well, the problem with that is how, how truly random is your mouse movement? And the, the, the answer is it's, it's random enough, right? But you could make the argument that most human beings are gonna move from left to right and they're gonna go up and down in certain general motions, but it would be near impossible to recreate. And so in my opinion, these dice are trying to solve a problem that we don't actually have. Uh, it's solving a theoretical problem. So they're basically just saying that rolling these dice is more random than whatever else it is that we're using to generate. Now, I'm saying this, and I'm a person who has actually two hardware entropy generators in my desk in my office right now. Uh, so I've, I've messed around with this stuff a good bit, and I, I just don't see this being more random. It, well, it just, you're just mad because you spent all that money on those, and so you have to defend. Well, they're not so, cheap. Yeah. So, <laughs> so all I can think of is I use this, I generate the entropy, I get this master password that's generated, and I go, man, I can't remember that. Cut it down to 12 characters. And then I write it on a piece of paper and tape it to the bottom of my keyboard. And then I now have a yeah. boggle set that was pointless. <laughs> you trip and drop the tray and the dice go rolling. <laughs> oh, damn. damn it. I think they said that once you set the, the dice, though, that they are locked in and it doesn't come out. I think oh, you the, couldn't uh, use it again. I, I thought uh, there's an app. I thought that you take a picture. So the app takes the picture and, it, and yeah. that's. Deciphers it. Right. But the, the, if you ever lose that picture, how do you get back into your stuff? you go grab your boggle set or whatever the hell this thing is and you take another picture and go oh yeah. there's my master key and yeah can i can just it. see my parents having just stacks of these <laughs> because they're like they're yeah. like so i bought a new computer so i got another uh, boggle set <laughs> so, and you know that's just that's a password thing they we've been taught to hey you need to remember passwords listen my it's, dad has a uh, Facebook account for every one of his devices. <laughs> that is not a joke. That is real. <laughs> Did he friend himself? He's like, well, I got a new phone. I had to get another Facebook. I'm like, you can log in with the same credentials. Here, just take this boggle set. I, you know, sadly, your dad's probably the most secure out of all of us. <laughs> He's like, they'll never catch me, Johnny Law. <laughs> this has been going on for six days now, or it's been posted for on, on the Crowd Supply website for six days. They have raised over $50,000 selling these things for 25 bucks a piece. So that means many, many people are, yeah, I'm not doing the math. Uh, many people are buying into this. And 
I guess, you know, if you're looking for a way to do seed generation for encryption, this is a method, uh, but I think it's mostly a gimmick. And the fact that it's priced at 25 bucks is the only reason why it's moving. Yeah, they're coming out with a simpler one, too. That's a, it's a ball with liquid in it uh, with a little window, <laughs> and it, it just has eight yeah. separate and passwords. And what's weird is, is it measures the individual molecules of water as they shake around, and it goes seven. And that's what you use as your seed. And you ask it, am I secure? And then yeah. it says, my sources say no. <laughs> sources point to no. <laughs> Did you say $25 a piece, 6000 of them? Uh, $50,000. That's $150,000. No, he's, he's sold 50000 worth at 25 a pop. Oh, oh, gotcha. Yeah, so you divide that gotcha. out. So that means they've sold, I don't know, uh, so two grand. <laughs> Does it get out A few thousand of the damn things. <laughs> <laughs> we were told there would be no math in the podcast, so let's move on. Our next article is from Ubuntu.com. So this is their blog. Uh, Ubuntu on WSL 2 backported to Windows 10, 1903, and 1909, thereby extending the reach. So um, this just means more people can take advantage of WSL 2. Yeah, uh, WSL 1 has been available on most versions of Windows 10 for quite some time, uh, but WSL 1 runs on top of that Windows API, so it's not running on a true Linux kernel. WSL 2 runs in a Hyper-V virtual machine in the background, so it's running on a true Linux kernel, which gives you way more functionality, so it's kind of the preferred of the two. But up until now, it's only been supported on Windows 10 release 2004, which is the May of, uh, May of 2020 release. And not everybody's on that. Uh, if you're a home user, you've probably updated. You're probably already on it. But if you're an enterprise customer, most enterprises are still at the 1903 or 1909 releases. And that means you couldn't use WSL2. Now you can. So it's been backported over. Uh, the team at Ubuntu worked with Microsoft, or the team at Canonical worked with Microsoft to do that. Uh, and so now it's been backported over. And you can take advantage of it today without having to upgrade your OS to the latest uh, release. And another pusher makes a sale. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's smart, right? Get people used to Linux, especially if you had a uh, version of, of Windows that didn't support the WSL. Boom, now you're good to go. Get your hands on with that Linux stuff. You know, I'm a fan, so I'm, I'm all for it. I use the heck out of it. You know, I, so my laptop is set to dual boot. I, I can boot to Ubuntu or I can boot into uh, Windows. And ever since WSL came out, I find that I boot less to Linux because I've got the environment right there. And, you know, I end up remoting into a server or whatever, too. But uh, there's just so much I can do from a Linux terminal that I can't do in Windows. And giving me that terminal in the Windows environment, that, that really makes life easier. Sudo. Sudo. <laughs> Say it with me, Windows. Sudo. Yeah. Or. Or. That's like PowerShell, Get right? MD5 hash. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, and so it's funny. Wes brought that up to me because I guess he overheard our conversation with Mike about that. And he was like, yeah, Daniel, it's it's pretty easy to MD5 hash a, a file. I go, you're darn right it is. How? Do this for me. MD5 a string. Just pop a string at it. He's like, oh. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, that's a little more complex. Yeah. I <laughs> to, should be able to throw bytes at it. Yeah. File or not file. And it do just, it. Here's a thing. MD5 yeah. it. Well, and you can do it in PowerShell, but you've got to create a variable and store it there. You've right. got to include these libraries like it's a nightmare. Yeah, it, yeah. it's it's a bit of, it's a little bit of coding going on where. As a matter of fact, I uninstalled Windows and installed Linux in the less amount of time than it took me to peruse the internet to figure out how to do it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, so if you're on Windows 10, uh, those versions 1903 or 1909, go ahead and give it a try and see if 
if you agree with uh, with yep. Daniel or Wes. One quick word of caution, if you use VirtualBox or um, VMware Workstation like I do, uh, they do not play well with having Hyper-V installed. And you need Hyper-V in order to run WSL2. So you kind of have to make a choice, either move your workload over to Hyper-V or don't run WSL2. So just be aware of that. I thought you were going to tell me it causes mesothelioma or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's that. Uh, That'll come out in a few years. <laughs> Have you been exposed to large amounts of WSL2 and <laughs> copper? Mm, and talking Are powder. you suffering from moderate to severe WSL2? <laughs> That's my favorite one in the, those commercials. Like when people just have a casual conversation in a coffee shop. Yeah. Like, oh, it's my moderate to severe plaxoriasis. And it's like no one says <laughs> moderate to severe when they're just like just talking to their friend. Yeah. Like I got bad plaxoriasis. Yes. I look like a scale man coming at you. Say. Yeah. A bog monster with scales on him. It's <laughs> not realistic. I have plaque psoriasis, so I get to make my way. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, okay. I was worried. Mm, I was, so, I, as a high school wrestler, I had to wrestle a kid that had, like, extensive plaque psoriasis. Yeah. And he tore me to pieces. So, like, he, like, cut my face up and everything. It was nice. crazy. Yeah, it was like it, it's like a grab so hold that, of a sander. Would that fall under the severe? Plexus? I'm gonna go with severe. <laughs> As a matter of fact, we got to weigh in. And I'm, you know, I mean, people are like, "Who cares about sports?" Yeah, I got you. Um, <laughs> but but we got to weigh in, and and the, and the ref is like, "Hold on, son." You, mm you can't. He's like, got a doctor's note. Oh man! Oh, oh Seriously, it's like I turned on a belt sander, threw it down, and then dove on it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he was a super nice guy. I bet. But yeah. man, he he like ripped my lips open, bloody my nose. He was. He won and that state was me four years in a row. <laughs> <laughs> he won. Wow! All right. That's that seems like an unfair advantage yeah. and Just a disadvantage mechanism. all at the yeah. same time. Yeah. All right, our next article is over at ArsTechnica.com. A Chrome feature is creating enormous load on global root DNS servers. Google's yep. <laughs> yep, there it is. Okay, I didn't even think of it that way. So, so here's the deal. I, 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 think <laughs> there should, I think for reporting purposes, journalism purposes, there should be pairs of words on the raw. They go, all right, don't put these together. Oh, like, like, what? A, like enormous load. We, we could get, we, a little squiggly lines in Word, it, it underlines, oh, enormous load. What, we could get Michael to write a Python yeah. function that looks yeah. for these combos. See, like, 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 just creating, just take a load. I don't know. Not a, there has to be a synonym there. Like, hmm, we are children. Uh, <laughs> so this is kind of an interesting one. Um, it's a... Uh, a security feature was introduced in Chromium, which means it's a part of the Chrome web browser that had the best intentions, but is having some negative effects. And uh, this was completely unaware to me, so I, I learned about this myself this week, um, that you know there is a, there's a common thing that a lot of ISPs do, right? Where, uh, have you ever typed in your address bar some website that doesn't exist, and instead of getting a can't reach server, or, you know, that kind of message, you get your ISP's landing page. So Cox Communications with some advertisements for their gigablast internet or some garbage <laughs> like that. So that's called DNS hijacking. They look for sites that don't exist that you're browsing to and use that as an opportunity to monetize and display ads to you. And it sucks. And, you know, most of us want to know that the server wasn't actually there. Well, they don't make enough money with the, yeah. the prices yeah. they charge. So. And there's so much competition, they don't want you to switch. Yeah, so that's true. Uh, so... Basically, what Chromium did is they said, all right, when you launch the browser, it's going to search for three random fake domains. 
And if it gets responses on at least two of them, then it knows that DNS hijacking is happening. And if that's the case, it will stop doing, when you type in a single word, it'll stop doing searches, uh, uh, treating those as intranet searches, and instead will perform them as like a Google search, that single word. So, you know, that allows that address bar to perform that operation. So that makes sense. And I understand why they're doing that. That's a good thing. But the unintended side effect is when they do a search for three fake domains, it goes up to whatever DNS server you're using. And then that gets kicked up to the TLDs and then finally up to the root hint servers. And the root hint servers are really supposed to be kind of like that last resort when you can't find a domain and they tell you where to go to find the answer. And so all of this anti-hijacking traffic is being sent to the root hint servers. And they did a study and they found that 60% of the queries against the root hint servers are being caused by these anti-hijacking requests. And so now they're raising the question of, is DNS hijacking such a problem? And when I say hijacking, it sounds like nefarious actors, right? But it's just these, these ISPs doing ads. Is that such a problem that it's worth a 60% additional load on the root hint infrastructure? Uh, that's, that's what this is all about. So from what I understand about this, it sounds like uh, a lot of things don't make it actually to the DNS server because they're cached at, at steps along the way. So if, if you used words that were actual words to do this test as opposed to just random strings of six or seven letters, would would that well, know, they, give more chance of being cached? They need something that doesn't match an actual site, right? If they use real words, the odds are they would hit a real site. Okay. And then they wouldn't know if it was hijacked or not, right? Because they, they're not assessing the content in it. They're just assessing whether they get a response back. And so they they want misses. They they want responses oh, right. that the server's not available. And the issue and the issue I remember now was was uh, intranets because you could say, oh, well, this this is a word, but it's got no dot something, and so it's yeah. not a top-level domain, but you could have, you know, the marketing internet is just that marketing or something like that for a lot of people. Yeah, or you could make up your own fake uh, TLD. In fact, I know, Justin, you've run into this, where in your dev environment, you use dot local as your TLD, which is not a real TLD, right? Uh, so if you were to send that kind of query up, it's going to have to go up to the root hints to find out that TLD doesn't exist. Uh, but your computer knows, hey, it ends in .local, I'll keep that local. So these are the the little things that, it doesn't seem like a big deal, these changes, but then you hear about these, uh, I forget how many queries it was per month, something like 60 billion queries per month uh, that are all just for this hijacking test. So real quick, what about the ad networks that these ISPs are using? Like, is are they known, do they have a bent toward doing using like iffy ones or semi-malicious ones? Because uh, if I was an ISP and I was redirecting, like, mm, going to mine those cryptocurrencies. Yeah, I, <laughs> I know AT&T and Cox both do it to advertise their own services. Um, and so, you know, the, the solution is don't use their DNS servers. Use a third-party DNS server that doesn't do it. That's how you kind of get around it. But um, where you really need to worry about it is if you're at Starbucks, if you're at the airport where they have free Wi-Fi, those are the ones who are looking for every way to monetize your connection. And that's when you start to get ads and who knows where they are. Yeah, and it's interesting in the article, uh, the, the subheadline is Google is doing to DNS what D-Link once did to NTP. And uh, they, they kind of talk about that in the oh, article. Yeah, that's a funny so, story. Yeah, so if, you, if you're not familiar with that one, I know we're out of time in this article, but uh, check that out over at Ars Technica. An interesting uh, little tidbit, too, about uh, what D-Link did once that cost someone and, a lot of money. And I'll tell you, it's the reason I hard code all things in my programs. <laughs> Even So you don't use variables ever? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> 
Especially like NPP server. Yeah, hard code all those. Things. He only uses true constants. Yeah. That's true why he hates Python. Yeah. Yeah. Can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> I just learned that today. All right, our next article is over at ZDNet.com. Google fixes major Gmail bugs seven hours after exploit details go public. Attackers could have sent spoofed emails mimicking any Gmail or G Suite customer. And this is sounds like another one of those examples of someone reporting a bug kind of getting ignored or getting the runaround and saying, all right, well, I'm going to go public with it. And, oh, now you fix it. So you know how I pick on people for sensationalizing headlines? You do. This one's like the opposite. ZDNet must get paid by Google somehow. <laughs> because if you just take the headline, Google fixes major Gmail bug seven hours after exploit details go public. That sounds like Google did a great job, doesn't there, it? There should That's be a exactly comma after ignoring for, what, three <laughs> yes, or four months. months. Yeah. So uh, somebody found a way that you could relay emails through the Gmail servers to defeat SPF and, and even DMARC tests, like, you know, that it would show as coming from a valid server. And it's a fairly simple one. Uh, the ZDNet article actually lays out how it works, but the, the approach was actually pretty simple. Well, they reported it to Google, and Google said they were working on a fix and that it would take a certain amount of time. And so the security researcher did responsible disclosure. They said they would wait 120 days. Like, that's six months. Nobody waits that long. And wait, is that good math? That's four months. Four months. Four months. Thank you. Uh, again, <laughs> nobody waits that long. It's usually 60 days or 90 days, but here it's 120 days. So uh, a, a long time. So they waited out and Google didn't put out an update. And so the researcher asked them, followed up and they said, oh yeah, it'll just be a few more days. It'll be on the 17th of August. Well, the 17th of August rolled around and they said, well, it's going to be a few more days. And so the researcher finally said, um, you know, that's it. And she, she posted it online. She said, here's, here's the attack. Here's how you do it. Here's the proof of concept. And once she posted that, this fix that Google was waiting months and months to roll out, was even delaying days there at the end, they rolled out in seven hours. Like, they could have put that fix in place six months ago, or four months ago. This is terrible yeah. math. Uh, this is why I don't have those dice. Well, they could have done it six months ago. Yeah, and, yeah they could have, I suppose. Um, but they didn't. And so it's funny because Google has been under fire a few times where they've disclosed other vendors' security flaws without even giving them 90 days. In some cases, giving them less than 30 days. So Google's being kind of shady here that they disclose other people's bugs, but they don't want theirs disclosed. And so this is, is not a not a shining moment the, for them. The Are question you? that pops up in my mind is why, if they apparently properly motivated, they could have fixed this bug, right? And they didn't. Why not? That's the question I have in my head. What was it that kept them dragging their feet that we'll probably never know? And it wasn't until someone shoved it out into the light they went oh crap we got to fix this now you know because they, they were left with no choice I, I feel like it's one of those things where someone goes here this nice knife is sharp be careful i warned you and they go really hey it's sharp <laughs> i i feel like a lot of times they go oh it's, it can't be that bad well, and then either, they go huh well they're either well. incompetent right or they're they're hiding something every time i go to the mexican restaurant across the street and they say this plate's hot Really? You're yeah. like, I grabbed that mug. I'm like, so, hey, damn, it's hot. I don't think they're hiding something, but I think so Google has a culture of ignoring their customers and ignoring their users, right? Like throughout yeah. everything, they ignore. If you go to the Google support forums, you'll find millions of posts from people and zero posts from Google employees. Hmm. And, you know, they have like these community representatives, but those are just regular users that they, they gave a, a little badge to. They're not actually Google employees. Google ignores their customers worse than like any other company in the planet. 
and they don't ignore their data. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, if they can monetize it, yeah. all of a sudden it's That's a different what story. I mean. So what yeah. uh, the, this researcher should have done, uh, Allison Hussein, she should have uh, used this bug to make her email look like it was coming from Sundar. Uh, to <laughs> yeah. to them, be like, as how an, have you guys not fixed this yet? As an internal yeah. memo, yeah. yeah, like, hey, listen, this is bad. Well, she brought up a great point that, like, if you're going to do a BEC, right, a, a business email compromise, this was gold. Yeah. That oh, if yeah. you knew a business was using G Suite, you could forge an email as any employee in that organization, and it would pass every test. It would show it's coming from a valid server. Is it easy to find that out to, to say, oh, this company is using oh, yeah. Outlook or this? Okay. You, you just do a DNS query, right. like we were just talking about, uh, and pull the MX records, and you'll see the, the Google servers in the list. Yep. Yeah, that could have been a problem. And who knows, honestly, if people have been using this. I mean, because this is, this is a researcher that found this. It's not to say that, that some bad actor hadn't found this you know, a long time before or some somewhere in that 120 days. Oh, or absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, Daniel, you can probably speak to this better. Like the, the odds are if, if she found it just poking around like a, a motivated yeah. attacker probably Especially would have found it. Nation state attackers and things of that nature. Yeah. They keep this stuff under lock and key. They know this is available. They're, obviously, they're not disclosing that to anyone because that's how they continue to act in the way they do. So it's not until a good researcher comes along, bug bounty programs are available that allow us to discover these, report them, get them fixed, so that we can find more bugs and continue the cycle. Yeah, fine. It never ends. All right, our next article is from threatpost.com. Researchers sound alarm over malicious AWS community AMIs. So this is another case of researchers going out and finding something, this time uh, with Amazon. Did, did Amazon do a better job taking care of it? It seems uh, like it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going to say no. Um, so, you know, Well, what AMIs, can they do, right? These are Amazon machine images, right? So the, the virtual machine images that we use in AWS, you can get ones officially from Amazon. Those are generally the ones that I use. You can get ones from third-party vendors, hopefully vendors you trust. But in the AWS uh, community market, you can actually get AMIs built by anybody, right? So uh, Bob Thompson in Iowa builds up a, I don't know why that's what popped in my head, uh, uh, builds an AMI and throws it online and says, hey, here's an Nginx server fully built out. You just click deploy. And meanwhile, it's got a Monero Bitcoin miner in the background. And so you go spinning these instances up and yeah, you have an Nginx server, but it's mining Bitcoin. So, um, uh, or Monero and Bitcoin are two different yeah, right. currencies, yeah. whatever, it doesn't matter. So you know, Cryptocurrency, yeah. <laughs> it does stuff, <laughs> right? Uh, and so these researchers started poking through various AMIs. They had come across one, it was a Windows Server 2008 AMI, which I don't think Windows Server 2008 is supported anymore, is it? Did any of you yeah. guys know? Supported mm. as, far, oh, as far as Microsoft? Yeah, I, well, I know regular 2008 isn't, but I don't think even R2, R2 is supported R2. anymore. I think they phased that out. I would have to think so, right? Because so, 2007 is dead and gone, so that was last yeah. year. Yeah. So if you're grabbing an AMI of a non-supported OS, that's bad enough. But then to have a, a, a Bitcoin miner or something tucked in it is worse. And they're saying that this is, is rampant, that there are many AMIs in the Amazon marketplace that feature malware of some sort. And Amazon is not actively scanning any of these things for threats and flaws. And so you need to treat every AMI as untrusted. Well, it's it's like the Google Play Store almost, right? Where you kind of have to, uh, maybe not even that, like sideloading applications. Hey, this looks really cool. I want to put it on my phone. Or, hey, this is a nice little AMI. Let me just grab a hold of that. The, the onus of responsibility seems to be much more on the end user to say, I understand that this is coming from an completely untrusted source. I don't know anything about them. They seem to have what I want. 
but uh, let me let me spin this up in a virtual environment or something yeah. and kind of look at what's going on before I get neck deep into this thing. It just the, seems to make this sense is, to me. This is one of those things where every time I go to the community AMIs, I mean, obviously there's the marketplace that maybe come that are hosted by a company, but you have to pay for those. But the community ones, a lot of times, like I just get the eerie feeling when I go through the community page. I go, yeah, that has random words that I recognize, but I'm not entirely sure what this is doing. Yeah. Uh, like the Nginx thing, if it was me and I had a company and I needed that, yeah, you could reach for one of those community ones real quick. But if it's one of those that says Nginx, PHP, haha, or whatever, <laughs> uh, then I would probably just spend the time to build my own image. Yeah, there's ones you can trust, like the Bitnami yeah, AMIs the Bitnami and stuff. Ones. You, know, you, you can trust those. They're from reputable companies, but most of them you just don't know. Uh, the one I worry about, it's not in this article, but like Docker Hub, hmm. where you're pulling down container images. Now, they're smaller, so it's easier for you to look at and examine and see if there's anything weird going on. When you pull an AMI, it's got an entire operating system in there, so it, it would be hard to sift through that and be certain you knew exactly what was in that I, image. And, and I, I guess like, you, I'll go ahead. I guess you could get real smart with that, right? Because like the, the crypto miner thing, like I guess you could look for source code, but if it was a one-off, then you could just have a delay starting after a certain amount of time, right? Because if you know these are going to be running in production, and, yeah, and if sure. they're not auto-scaling yeah. or something, you just go, hey, don't turn on for 20 days. Yeah, or the miner doesn't even have to be in there, right? It could just be set to load a web page in the background, and the miner is tucked away in JavaScript, and and mm. you know that's how it fires off. They, then you wouldn't even be able to find it. They did mention that uh, maybe a possible solution for this is to allow the community to kind of uh, police itself by like, basically <laughs> saying, "Hey, let me let me uh, rate this. Hey, I found Monero miner on this thing, so I'm going to go with one star. You know, you might not want to grab this one." All I, all I heard was Stack Overflow. Oh, yeah. yeah. We'll let the community police itself. Dude, that works great. When, when Michael Kennedy said that Stack Overflow, I spent 20 minutes telling people how pieces of shit they were. <laughs> <laughs> and then we got to Python. Yeah, yeah. Stack so Overflow. They, they, so the, the company... The company itself seems to have like a, a good vision of Stack Overflow that is. Yeah. But man, the, the site. That forum. Yeah. yeah they, right. I don't know. Hey, listen here, Don. You're worried about AMIs. That's opinion based. Shut the hell up. Yeah. <laughs> You're too stupid to ask Why this question. Why would you ask that, moron? <laughs> duplicate. 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 I mean, self-policing, that works for 4chan. Yeah. Why wouldn't that work? <laughs> it's a great point. So, hey, real quick. Is it self-policing if it's just anarchy? Yeah, I guess so. I think so. Yeah, right. That is. <laughs> yeah. That's like a form of government, though. Do right? whatever the hell you want to. We're policing ourselves. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, if everybody eventually comes to some agreement on what the rules are, then it's not anarchy and anymore. In, and in 4chan, it's like revenge porn and all kinds of Did weird stuff. Did you see that they, uh, they at 4chan, I know it's completely off topic, I just thought it was interesting, just mentioning 4chan, they have banned any images from some Netflix uh, show about... 13 year old or like 10 year old girls that are twerking there's like uh, uh yeah some like hold up yeah did you and just they, say 4chan has morals 4chan Wait, bandit so there's something allowed on netflix that's not allowed on 4chan yes is it allowed this on a 8chan crazy world i was like in. what the heck that must be real it's it's the uh it's from Home Alone. If Uncle Frank says no, then it must be really bad. <laughs> <laughs> but but Netflix was cool with it. Yeah, yeah. Netflix I keep I, right. I haven't seen this show, but I keep seeing like memes or things pop up about twerking thirteen year olds on, yeah. on Netflix. I'm yeah. like, 
what is going on and I don't want to search for that. Yeah. yeah. And like, Number uh, one, that'll mess up your whole Netflix search history. Oh. Right? Yeah. No one near luck, you're like going, man, Umbrella Academy, this is cool. Let me, what is this? This is a weird title. Hey, that's twerking 13. Holy crap, look at all the documentaries. <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah. You're, you're on a list now, sir. Yeah. Here's, here's all your suggested videos. We leave it in there for profiling. Yeah, it's, it's all about how Nambla and Umbrella, I guess, like, whatever. I guess after Tiger King, that's it, right? Yeah, all yeah. the, the rules are going down here. Listen, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go with, yeah, there's murder and there was some weirdness there. But I don't know if it's twerking 13-year-old girls weird. Oh, man, mm-hmm. that's rough. It's a brave new world. Oh. Again, once uh, once again, is I have to come up with a segue um, <laughs> from this to, like, our ads. But um, I'm, I'm not even going to try. So, hey, remember Christian Brinkoff? He was a guest uh, a few weeks back and came on and talked about Windows Virtual Desktop. And he'd been on a while ago uh, when he wasn't with Microsoft then. Well, he's actually joining us for our next webinar, which is an inside look. The new Windows Virtual Desktop is here deploying WVD using the Azure portal. Because actually, because he talked about that on here and we said, hey, we just did a webinar about Windows Virtual Desktop and none of these new features were discussed in that. So let's get him on and just get right from the horse's mouth and and find out all the cool stuff there. So uh, if you were interested in that when you heard it on here and want to learn more about Windows Virtual Desktop and how to deploy it using the Azure portal, uh, check that out. That's Thursday. Uh, September 3rd with Mike Roderick and Christian Brinkoff. Uh, you can go over to itpro.tv slash webinars and sign up for that one. Uh, you can also see a recording of the one that Justin just did last week on the top five DevOps myths destroyed. Destroyed. There it is. There's a sound <laughs> effect. Uh, and so that one is there as well. You did that with Joe Peacock. So that's over at itpro.tv slash webinars. Definitely check those two out. And why don't you head over to go.itpro.tv slash technado, just redesigned, by the way, and uh, you can get a coupon code for 30% off of your uh, personal subscription. You can also um, request uh, training for your team, or you can request a team trial so your whole team uh, at your office can try it out and see what you think. So head over to go.itpro.tv slash technado to check that out. Uh, well, guys, uh, thanks to, to Michael Kennedy again, uh, and definitely nice to have uh, another expert we can go to besides just Justin, uh, our in-house Python expert. <laughs> no, I remember I, I hosted a show with you uh, about uh, numeric Python once, and I didn't understand any of the words you said, which means <laughs> that it must have been really good. Yeah, yeah. or I'm a great, great liar. I know I love that you just feed me questions though, and I'm like, I have to. Those words are supposed to go together. Okay, yeah. I'll just say these things. <laughs> that is a fantastic question, Pete. It's almost like I wrote them myself. <laughs> I, know, I love that. Every time I ask a question, you'd be like, "Man, there's qu- just better and better questions each time, Peter." <laughs> it's uh, yeah, this is a good old. That day. was good times. That was good times. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, remember when I said math dot squirt? Yeah. <laughs> I do. Yeah, yeah actually, I, that was the only thing that stuck with me. Yeah, you're like, man, oh, this is squirt. Ah. <laughs> Write that down. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining us, and we'll see you next week right here on TechNado with Don Pizzette. Me, Sophie, and